You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 14. It'll be on the screens in front of you, or you can pull it up on your device or in your traditional paper Bible if you have one of those. Um, here's what God's Word says to us. Beginning in verse 8. It says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, His prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which... I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. This is the word of God for the people of God this morning. Let me pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege that we have to gather, to hear your word preached. And Father, pray that your spirit would be present among us. Or that your spirit would come and do a work inside of us that you would speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, speak to our behaviors, our lifestyles, God. Lord, that you would help us to be people who are not ashamed of the gospel. That you would help us to be people who would live our lives in such a way that we would guard, protect, preserve the gospel by the strength of your spirit. I pray, God, that you would come and encourage us, and challenge us, and strengthen us in this way transform us. Lead us to the foot of that bloody cross, the doorway of that empty tomb. Remind us again of the hope that we have in eternity because of the promise that you've given us in Christ Jesus. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Hey guys, there's, there's basically one big clear idea, one big idea in this text. It's crazy because the Apostle Paul, right? The Apostle Paul is notorious for writing these really long, run-on sentences. And really, in the Greek, in the original language, all of what we just read is kind of like one big, long, run-on sentence. Now, in the English that we just read, it's like three, maybe four verses or sentences. Um, the first sentence is uber-long, lots of commas, lots of pauses. And as you read it, it can be really easy to kind of get caught up in that and get lost. There's one big, clear idea in it, though, on the screen in front of you. This is the big idea. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed and guard the gospel. You could say, don't be ashamed of the gospel, guard the gospel. That is the central nugget, the central idea that Paul is putting in front of young Timothy here in the text. If you were to do a study of the entire book, again, as I just challenged us, and we'll try to continue to challenge us to do, read through this book weekly, right? To prepare your hearts, prepare your minds. 
for what we're studying. If you were to read the text, it'd be clear, especially from the end of the book, the end of chapter 4, it's really clear the Apostle Paul is nearing the end of his life here on earth, right? I, I preached about that last week, about a legacy. One thing I didn't get to say last week is, um, it's really cool. If I look around the room, people's faces and families, uh, people that I know, I see you, right? I know many of you. Um, the legacies that God is uh, developing and creating in your life, I think, is absolutely fantastic. Sometimes you can hear a sermon about legacy and be like, oh, man, I just need to do better. And yeah, yeah, there's always ways we can do better, right? Ways that God wants to change us and transform us. But let me just say and encourage you. Um, I could go around the room and spend quite a bit of time. I know we have people here. We have young people who chose to follow Jesus at a very young age. That's a legacy starter, right? It's a legacy you'd leave behind for your family one day. Uh, I know young people who were absolutely rebellious in, in younger years who then came together, get married, have a whole bunch of kids start following Jesus, right? Uh, I know families where the, the dad came to church here for a while and mom and kids didn't come. And, and then eventually mom and kids start coming. We baptize all of them and... And he tells me later, he goes, Joe, I'm, I'm praying with my kids and my wife for the very first time in my life. These are legacies that are being built and developed based on hearing God's word and responding to it. So those are just a few that I just want to say from an encouraging standpoint. I mean, I see that happening. So as you hear this sermon, as you study this one, you think about the Apostle Paul. He's near the end of his life, right? He's about to be beheaded for his faith. He has been faithful to the gospel. He's ready to end his ministry well. He's like, I'm going to die soon. I think I've done a pretty good job. I'm ready to be done. I've done what the Lord has called me to do. I've been faithful to God. I've been faithful to you. I just have a few final words I want to speak to you, young Timothy. That's basically what's happening in this letter. It is actually um, Paul's oldest letter. Not oldest, but it's the last letter he wrote before his death. That'd be the way to say it. So there's a lot of thoughts in this letter. For if you were to read other letters from the Apostle Paul, there's thoughts in this letter that he just crystallizes. Crystal clear thoughts, whereas in other places he might take two or three chapters to try to explain something. Here he does it with very succinct phrases. Because he's worked at this. He's labored hard at this. If you were to step back and take kind of a panoramic view of this letter to Timothy... Um, here's what Paul's going to write about. He's going to write very forcefully. He's going to write very urgently about guarding the gospel throughout chapter 1. He's going to write about being a faithful soldier and a faithful minister of the gospel in chapter 2. He's going to write about avoiding godless people in chapter 3 as well as standing firm on God's word towards the end of chapter 3. He's also uh, going to talk about and write about being ready to preach the word in any season, no matter what's happening uh, in chapter 4. And then again, towards the end, uh, the end of this letter has for, for years been a source of encouragement to me personally um, for lots of reasons. He, he concludes the letter at the very end with a note about what it's like to be abandoned by everybody he knew. To, to be completely alone and in that moment relying on the faithful presence of God alone who never failed him and never left him. So that, that's the big panoramic view of this letter that Paul's writing to Timothy, right? Words of this letter. 
They're the words of a man who has stood faithfully on the message of the gospel. The Apostle Paul is ready to draw his final breath. And all of his words, he doesn't mince his words. They're urgent words. And I would say that they are words that are going to very soon be sealed with the blood of his death. He's going to be martyred for his faith. And Paul's simple words in the text today that we're reading, once again, come back to that simple phrase on the screen in front of you. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Guard the gospel. And here's something I thought of as I was studying this. I thought this. I thought it's, it's really natural, don't you think? It's really natural to guard and, and to protect what you actually value or what you are actually proud of. So if you value something and you're proud of it, it's a natural instinct to kind of wrap your arms around guard and protect that thing, right? Like I value, I value my wife. I value my children quite a bit. <laughs> Coming back from Omaha last night, um, blew a tire on the front of her car. That's a whole other story for a whole other time. And I'll tell you what I think of AAA and Jeep manufacturing this morning. I won't tell you right now, but I'll tell you that if you want to ask me later. <laughs> Standing on the side of the road, and we've got somebody coming to, to pick Christy up. She's going to stay. She's going to get up this morning. Uh, she's going to get a tire on that car. And we've got all the other kids that are with us in the truck. And I'm thinking, boy, I, I, I really, it's getting late. Like, it's almost 10 o'clock now, and I, I need to get moving, get the kids home. i got to preach in the morning. And I remember the thought, like, yeah, but I'm not going to leave my wife here on the side of the road by herself. So the thought there is that I, would, I, would value, I value her so much that I want to be there to guard her and to protect her. Right? I'm, not, I'm not ashamed of her. That, that's the sense. Um, natural instinct to guard and to protect what you value, what you're proud of. On the other hand, you and I will not guard and we will not protect the things that we are actually ashamed of. You won't guard it, you won't protect it, you'll hide it. Right? That makes sense? So that's the first thing that the Apostle Paul says. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Verses 8 through 12, that's what he says. So I remember early on in my relationship with Jesus, maybe a few years after Jesus saved me, uh, I owned a drywall company, and uh, one of the contractors that I worked for invited Christy and I to a comedy dinner. You ever been to one of those comedy dinner night things? They serve you a great prime rib, you get free drinks. Well, it's not free, but you buy the ticket and you go. Um, and so this guy that I was doing work for gave us some free tickets to this comedy dinner. And so we went. The food was amazing. The drinks were awesome. The comedian was absolutely hilarious at first. And, and then slowly but surely, over the course of his bit, his act kind of became uh, more raunchy, if you will, more disturbing, more offensive. And honestly, Christy and I began to feel really uncomfortable as we're sitting there in this space. Now, Christy and I were saved out of some pretty rough backgrounds, so it's not like we haven't heard and seen some things some, that are pretty ugly, right? It's not like we didn't engage in some really nasty, sinful stuff in some dark places. But this was, this was getting pretty bad, and we were beginning to feel pretty uncomfortable. And at some point, the comedian like, throws his hand up in the air, and he's like, Hey, yo, are there any Christians in the room? And like, not a single person raised their hand. Now, to my shame, I didn't raise my hand either, okay? So, I'm just sitting like, I was like on the spot. 
And the crazy thing is the contractor that owned the bar that had given us the tickets, he knew that I was a believer. I'd prayed with him before over issues in his business. So I didn't raise my hand. And I felt totally ashamed, especially in the next moment when the comedian's like, good, because there shouldn't be any Christians in here anyways. And I was like, man, man, I'll never forget the shame that I felt in that moment. But here's the thing. That kind of shame is a different kind of shame than what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. Okay? That kind of shame for not being courageous enough to proclaim Christ, that's different than the kind of shame that the Apostle Paul is talking about in this passage. I, I felt ashamed for failing on the back end. We've all felt that kind of shame, right? I felt ashamed for failing, for not doing what's right. What Paul is speaking about is a different kind of shame. It's the kind of shame that's on the front edge. It's before the failure. It's the shame and the, it's almost like a fear that keeps you from doing what you were supposed to do. It makes you cower like I did. So the question is, with that thought in your mind, understanding the kind of shame, the kind of fear that the Apostle Paul is actually speaking to, you ask this question, how do you not give in to that kind of shame? How do you become the person that doesn't sit there when the comedian's like, yo, are there any Christians in here? And you're like, oh! right? How do you become the guy that's like, yeah, that's me? What's up? Like you, what you said really is really offensive. Like, how do you become that person who's bold and courageous, who's not ashamed and afraid there's a couple of things I see in the text. First of all, uh, we resist being ashamed by being ready to suffer for the gospel. That's what the Apostle Paul says, basically. You resist being ashamed by being ready to suffer for the gospel. In verse 8, Paul says this, says, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Here's the thing, I think that when you and I, when we know that we're going to suffer for the sake of the gospel, you know that, like you're not walking around with this fanciful idea that uh, I got Jesus and Jesus has got me, I'm never going to have to suffer, it's all going to be health, wealth, and prosperity and that kind of heresy. When you're not walking around with that idea, but you're actually walking around knowing that when Jesus says you will suffer, you're guaranteed this then I think our Americanized idea of, of Christianity, that somehow I come to Jesus and my whole life just gets better, that goes by the wayside when we start actually reading scriptures and going, oh, Jesus said I'm going to suffer. So if you're ready to suffer for the sake of the gospel, just as many before us suffer, the scriptures are filled with those stories, why would it be any different for us, right? If we're, if we're ready for that, to suffer like others have, and, and, and even think about all those who are suffering now in other countries. When you think that way, then I think you and I will be less apt to be caught off guard and sidelined in those moments when suffering comes. We will not be ashamed in that moment. So I think you resist being ashamed of the gospel by being ready to suffer for the gospel. Uh, secondly, I think you can resist being ashamed of the gospel by remembering this. God saved us, and He called us. God saved us, and He called us. According to verse 9, Paul says that God saved us, and He called us to what? To a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. 
You go, what do those words mean? They simply mean that God saved us and called us. And if we can latch onto that truth, we will not give in to that kind of shame, that kind of fear. See, when I think about this truth, God saved me and he called me, I'm humbled. He had no reason to save me. He had no reason to save you other than he wanted to. He extended his love to you for his own purpose, his own plan. It wasn't that you and I were so good. So when I'm reminded of that, I'm humbled, I'm strengthened by that truth. I didn't do anything to help God save me. You ever get that thought in your head that somehow you're going to like help God do something? Like we're going to help the creator of the universe do something. Like somehow, somehow my salvation happened because of I did X, Y, Z, right? If I didn't have anything to do with my salvation, I certainly had nothing to do with my calling. So when God calls you to himself, he also calls you into ministry. Now, now you might think, well, I'm not really in ministry. Joe, you're in ministry. You're on the stage this morning ministering to us. And, and that is, that's, that's a lie. It's a lie that, that the church has believed for so long. It's not true. We're all ministers. Wherever you work vocationally, whatever you have for family, whatever your friend circle is, that's your area of ministry. Whatever areas you serve in here, practically speaking, vacuuming the floors and mowing the yard and doing the sound and singing up here and putting toilets in, that's ministry as well. And we're all called as believers to be ministered. So the old term was this, every believer a minister. Every believer a minister. And at the end of the day, you and I had nothing to do with God saving us and calling us into that kind of ministry. So if I think of it that way, if I look at God as being the one who sovereignly reached down and saved me, and then also called me and equipped me for ministry, then here's the way I can come at this being ashamed of the gospel thing. I can think of it this way. As long as I am obediently following his calling upon my life, then I am never going to actually have a reason to be ashamed or to cower back in fear of what's coming down the pike. Why? Why? Why would I have no reason to be ashamed or fearful of what's coming around the corner if God saved me and called me? And the answer is this. I don't have to fear and I don't have to be ashamed because if he saved me and if he called me, then I can literally trust God to continue to sovereignly be in control of all the circumstances that I'm going to face in the pursuit of the calling that He gave me. Let me say it again. If He gave me the calling, if He's in charge of that, and if He's in charge of my salvation, I did nothing to make it happen. I have no reason to be ashamed of what's around the corner if I'm obediently pursuing what he's told me to do and called me to do. Because he's in charge of the circumstances that I can't see coming. He's in charge of the circumstances that I suffer in as I pursue him obediently as well. So, when you and I remember that God is in control, that God is the one who saves and calls, then we won't be ashamed of the gospel. Right? Third, Third way that you resist being ashamed of the gospel 
is by remembering that Jesus defeated death and gave eternal life. This is one of the the beautiful, most glorious um, truths of the gospel itself, that Jesus defeated death and then extended eternal life to us. In verse 10, Paul says that God's purpose or reason for saving us and calling us into gospel ministry has been manifested, he says, manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who what? Abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Here's the reality. The reality is you and I have no reason to cower back in fear. We have no reason to cower back on the sidelines in some kind of like shameful silence once you and I grab a hold of the truth that God's reason for saving us, that God's reason for calling us into gospel ministry, the reason for all of that was for the purpose of proclaiming the power and the victory of the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus. See, Jesus defeated Satan, sin, and death, right? If that's true, if you've experienced that and I've experienced that, if that's true, then we have nothing to fear this side of heaven. Nothing whatsoever. There should be nothing that would stop you and I from sharing that gospel with absolutely zero shame and zero fear with anybody who stands in front of us when the opportunity presents itself. No matter how scary, no matter how fearful, no matter, no matter how uh, um, threatening it may be, no matter what you may lose, If we could grab a hold of this truth that Jesus defeated death and that he offers eternal life to us and that we have gotten that and that there are others who don't believe that and have not come to that same place that we are, why would we not, as one person put it, crawl across broken glass, fiery pits to save those who are not yet saved? Why would we not, right? At the end of the day, we we can resist being ashamed of the gospel by by, by remembering that our crucified, our risen, our returning Christ, that he defeated death, that he offers eternal life to anyone who will repent and believe. In that place, when when you lay hold of that truth and it affects your mind, it affects your heart in such a way that there is no shame. There is no shame in that place. Fourth. Fourth, you can resist being ashamed by remembering that we've been appointed by God. See, the Apostle Paul, I think, uh, when you read the Apostle Paul's letters, and especially this one, you you get this sense that the Apostle Paul knew exactly who he was. I said this last week. He knew exactly who he was, and he knew exactly whose he was. The Apostle Paul knew who he used to be. And if you look back in your rearview mirror and see who you used to be, and at times feel shame because... The pieces of who you used to be, there's still microcosms or slivers of who you used to be in your current life, right? The Apostle Paul could look back and he could say, I know who I used to be. I used to be a persecutor and murderer of Christians, right? The Apostle Paul could say that. But now I know who I am and I know whose I am. I've been saved by God in a miraculous way. I've been transformed by the grace of God who has appointed me as what? He says, a preacher, 
an apostle, and a teacher. Now the fun part for us average Christians like us who don't bear the name the Apostle Paul is it's easy to read that whole thing, I'm a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, and go, my pastor's that. I'm not that. It's easier for us, right? I mean, I just take myself out from behind the pulpit and just step over here and go, okay, what am I? What has God called me to? All three of those names, there's an apostle, teacher, and preacher, right? Not all of us are going to be extremely gifted that way. The reality is all of us have a responsibility once we come to that place of trust in Jesus, uh, where we are now ministers, where we proclaim and share the gospel, not only with our words, and definitely, for sure, not only with our Facebook posts, but with our lives. And with our lives. Like, I'd like to say, if your life don't match your Facebook post, don't post it. <laughs> That's an easy one. Could take a break from posting on Facebook for a while, too. That might be helpful for all of us, you know, for our souls. All of us have been given a responsibility to be an ambassador for Jesus, meaning to be his representative here on earth. You didn't get saved so that you could just go, hey, I'm going to heaven. You got saved. Jesus saved you so that you could then proclaim his name to others. And that's what Paul is saying. I've been appointed by God. The same principle applies to you if you are a believer. You've been appointed by God, not just a get-out-of-hell-free card, but a card that says, I have been chosen and appointed and called by God to proclaim and to share the message of the gospel with everyone I come in contact with. Not just through my words, not just through my Facebook posts, but through my life and my actions. I think if we get that, if we get that, if we start to pursue that and to live in light of that, if you start to be obedient to that, you start to ask God to help you do just that, then you won't be ashamed of the gospel. <coughs> you won't be ashamed of the gospel because you will remember that God has appointed you as his representative here on earth until you go to meet him on the day that you die. And hopefully you don't die the same way the Apostle Paul did. But I, I say this. I think if that pressure was on us as Americans that when you walk out of this church today, that you could die from meeting here, I think it would change an awful lot. It would change an awful lot. Fifth, we resist being ashamed by remembering that we are protected by God. Think about that. We resist being ashamed by remembering that we are protected by God. In verse 12, Paul says that the gospel is simply the reason why, he says, I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, he says, for I know whom I have believed. Catch that phrase. For I know whom I have believed. There's two ways to take this word. Like, I know who I believe. I trust it. Like, I know that. Like, that dude ain't going to let me down. There's another sense of that word. No, it's very intimate. I know him personally, right? Like, I could say, I know that Walmart today is probably going to provide a fairly decent tire for my wife's car. I don't know Walmart intimately. I don't. On the other side, I can say, I know that while my wife is out of town, she's going to be faithful to me. You know why I know it? Because I know her. That's the difference. It's not just walking around with some head nods like, yeah, I know God's going to save me. He lets anybody go to heaven, which is crap, because that's not true. Okay? 
just bounce back out of that real quick. It's like too much testosterone, sorry. You see the difference? The difference between this head knowledge of like, I know all sorts of things about this entity named God, and I have some cultural reasoning about him, versus an actual biblical, relational time spent with this book open, and my heart open in prayer before him, crying out to him because of life and, and people going to hell and, and, and my desire to follow him better and want to be faithful till I die, right, regardless of what comes. It's that kind of intimate spending time with Jesus, walking with him, and some days wondering, are you even speaking to me? <laughs> Do I, have I even heard you? That kind of intimate knowledge. When Paul says, for I know whom I have believed. It's not just a head knowledge. It's also, I know you intimately, God, because I'm walking with you day in, day out. He follows it up with this after saying, I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced, I'm convinced that he's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. The Paul is absolutely convinced that God will never fail him. God will always protect not only his servant, the Apostle Paul, or servants, you and I. He will protect not only you and I, but he will also protect the message that he has entrusted to his servants. I think the gospel message is pretty precious to our God. It's pretty precious to him. It cost him his son's life. At the end of the day, man, human, may be able to bring death to you and I's physical bodies. But what God promises is, is, is eternity. Promises eternity to our souls. Like what man can do to us here on earth got nothing on what's going to happen in eternity. You start living for right here and right now, eternity gets eclipsed by that. And usually what happens is we start living for some inward desire. I want to be accepted, so I'm not going to talk about the gospel. I don't want to be ostracized, so I'm not going to talk about the gospel. I'm not going to raise my hand when the comedian does this thing, right? Or there's just all sorts. I, I, I'm going to feel powerless, maybe, uh, somehow. I'm, I'm going to feel out of control if I were to bring this up right now. There's all sorts of inner desires we have of power, control, safety, acceptance, love. And oftentimes we give in to those desires and we shut our mouths. And we forget that God is readily available to protect and to preserve not only his servants, but the message of the gospel that he has entrusted to us. So, how do you and I resist being ashamed of the gospel? How do we not cower back in fear and shame, right? When the comedian calls you out, like what happened to me? Um, or maybe for you, maybe when your, your coworker makes fun of you being a Christian. Or maybe, maybe when the classmate calls your names, right? Now, schools are a tough place for our young people. I get, I get that. I was homeschooled, and it was, that was hard enough. So I can't imagine being in a regular school in this day and age, right? So if your, your classmate may make fun of you, calling you names, or your child, maybe your child disowns you because of your stance on something moral, Maybe when you, if you have a spouse, maybe that doesn't agree with your faith, doesn't align with you. 
or, or you have friends who abandon you because of some moral gospel stance that you took? How in those moments do you not cower back in shame and fear? How do you, how do, you do that, right? And we just worked through five different ways. <coughs> so let me summarize them. You resist being ashamed of the gospel by being ready to suffer. Be ready to suffer. Remember that God saved you and called you. Remember that Jesus defeated death and gave you eternal life. Remember that you've been appointed by God. Remembering that you're protected by God for all of eternity. If you can hold on to those truths, you won't be ashamed of the gospel. <coughs> but, it's not just that. Right? It's not just not being ashamed of the gospel. <coughs> you also need to guard the gospel. That's the second thing you see in the text. You might remember I said this earlier. We will not guard what we are ashamed of. Agreed? We will not guard what we are ashamed of. We will only protect that which we are proud of or that which we value above all other things. But the question is, how do you do that? How do you guard? How do you protect the gospel? I got the answer. Facebook posts. It really is a sad day that we've come to a place in America where Facebook has become the battleground for our faith. How did we get there? How? <laughs> I don't know. How, how do you come to a place where you value the gospel even more than you value your physical life? Because that's the Apostle Paul here, right? First, guard the gospel by following other faithful leaders. That's the first thing he says. Do it by following other faithful leaders. Verse 13, Paul says, You will guard the gospel if you follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. See, it's, it's very difficult. Very difficult to find faithful leaders who will endure until the end without shipwrecking their faith and disqualifying themselves from God's kingdom altogether. Faced it enough personally you watch it happen in the headlines, it seems like, weekly. So this is a hard one. It's hard to find faithful leaders, consistent leaders, who will stand firm on the gospel. And just a cursory reading of the end of the letter, like I mentioned earlier, reveals that many of the leaders that, that the Apostle Paul had once trusted, they'd all abandoned him. And many of them, if not most of them, it caused so much harm, not only to the Apostle Paul personally, but it also caused harm to the kingdom of God. And one thing I love is the Apostle Paul names them. He names them. Can you imagine if American pulpits today, preachers would start naming people who had caused much harm to the cause of the gospel in their churches? Like, that's the personal feeling. Like, these people know who he's talking about. That's all there is to it. He's not talking about some TV preacher from across the United States. That, those guys are easy to pick on, my opinion. Because those guys put themselves on TV and do stupid things, right? Just like me. <laughs> I think it's much harder and much more. Yeah, it's always twisted me up that the Apostle Paul named those guys. And it's in the biblical record. Divine written scripture. And when Timothy and his little church in Ephesus read it, they're like, yep, we knew that guy. Man, he was, 
He's out. He's out there. It just They knew it. Like That was the reality that they lived in. It was the way that they did church. We don't do church that way here so much. <laughs> God forbid if we hurt someone's feelings. You know. Very difficult to find faithful leaders. And if you just read the end of the text, you'll find Apostle Paul experienced this pretty painfully. Nevertheless, nevertheless, one of the primary ways that we guard the message of the gospel is by following other leaders who have a proven pattern of being faithful to the message of the gospel. And listen, you and I can't control what happens or what those people do. But if you can find teachers and preachers and leaders who are faithful to the gospel to the best of your ability as you test them, and you can't test them if you don't know the gospel, and you can't test them if you don't know the Bible. So you've got to test what they say. You should test what I say every week by what's here. Right? So you should definitely test and ensure And also make sure that if you have a dividing point with them or disagreement, that it's actually a primary issue, not a secondary. Like secondary issues, we can disagree over all day long. Speaking in tongues, baptizing babies or baptizing adults. We can can agree or disagree on those things all day long. I know where I land, I know where our church lands, yada, yada, yada. You don't have to ostracize somebody and say, oh, they're not gospel faithful if they believe that. So you really got to test by the gospel, the main tenets of the gospel. There's lots of other doctrines you want to test by, too. We don't have time to get into it, but it's good. Good to follow faithful leaders. And that was one of the primary ways that we guard the gospel. Second way that I see is we do that by trusting the power of the indwelling spirit inside of us. I, I find it fascinating. The Apostle Paul basically ends our passage from last week and our passage from this week in the very same way. So I think that's, that's awesome. That's just the Apostle Paul and the way he writes. and that's, that's just God and the way he saw fit to bring this together. Here's what the Apostle Paul knows. I think, I think he knows that following human leaders alone is not going to be enough to empower us to guard the gospel. So what he does is he firms up all of his instructions here about guarding the gospel, and he says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who deposits the message. Get this picture in your head, okay? It's the Holy Spirit who deposits, like when you deposit a check into the bank, He deposits the message of the gospel into the brand new hearts, the banks, that He gave us. So He gives us the brand new heart, and then He deposits the gospel message into it at the moment of salvation. The moment of salvation to me is absolutely whack. I can't wait to get to heaven and find out if the whole linear ways that every theologian tries to come up with what happened first and what happens next and just see how that all comes together. You know, did the brand new heart get given first before somebody responded? Or did somebody respond and the brand new heart got given and the gospel got, I don't know, maybe it all happened at one time like the Big Bang Theory. Maybe there's just one Big Bang, the moment of salvation. You know, the Big Bang Theory is God said it and bang it happened. That's the Big Bang Theory, right? So, the moment of salvation. God gives you a brand new heart, deposits the message of the gospel into that heart that he gave you. And then he also deposits himself into that very same heart to give you the strength to guard and protect that message of the gospel. Uh, our elder team read this text earlier this week, or later, yeah, later this last week, um, towards the end of the week there. 
and we read a different version. Patrick read a different version, and uh, it, it said that that uh, rather than entrusted, um, guard the gospel that you have been given custody over. Well, that changed the image, right? That changed the image. You've been given custody. So, so in that sense, here's the image. The gospel itself is like this precious child that you value, you love, right? You never would be ashamed of that child. You never look at that child and say, you should be ashamed of yourself, or I'm, I'm ashamed of you. You'd never want to do that kind of damage, although I bet a lot of us in this room probably had somebody say that to us and know the long-term damage that that brings. The gospel's like this precious child. You would never look at that child and say that. You would say, I want to protect that child. The gospel's like a precious child, and, and the Holy Spirit... The Holy Spirit is like this really proud biological parent of that child, okay? So you think of maybe if you have children, and if you don't have children, somebody else has children, if you've watched their children, the Holy Spirit has entrusted you and I with the custody or the responsibility of caring for and protecting that child, the gospel. But he doesn't just leave us alone to do it. You know, oftentimes when you babysit somebody else's kids, you're just like, oh, crap, I don't know how to do this. Right? I think I heard a story about our daughter. One of our daughters left her, our, our grandbaby with uh, one of our, my cousins <laughs> to, to, to watch um, for a few hours one day. And uh, I don't know what was going through her mind, but my cousin didn't even ask what the baby's name was. So, so instead of calling him Xavier, he called him Thor. My daughter also, I, I love this kid, yeah, Hope. If any of you know Hope, you, you, you understand right away, right? And Hope is such a sweetheart. Um, she also didn't tell my cousin what he should feed the baby. <laughs> you know, so he's like, oh, it's going to eat some baby food. So, you know, kid's two months old. You're not supposed to give him baby food yet. <laughs> That's not how the Holy Spirit gives us his baby. That's probably the best line of the whole sermon, isn't it? <laughs> Somebody tweet that, please. You don't have to put my name on it, just it's good. Facebook that, there you go. Um, the Holy Spirit does not leave us alone with his baby. <laughs> he takes up residence inside of us and helps us steward that baby, guard and protect that baby. You don't walk it alone. That's the beauty of what Paul is saying here. I want to conclude this way. Give us a quick recap. A clear, urgent message from the text. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Guard the gospel, right? And the Apostle Paul himself, I think he's a great example. When you think about his life, he's a, he's a great example of a man who was willing to risk his very life to ultimately give his life for the cause of the gospel. But here's the, the reality, y'all. Like, the Apostle Paul ultimately is human. He's not God. He's not perfect. And he struggled. Struggled to do things perfectly. I'm certain of that. Uh, we know that this great Apostle Paul, that he even confessed in Romans chapter 7 uh, to doing things he didn't want to do and not doing things he did want to do. But here's the other thing I know about the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul in the book of Romans is also the one in Romans 1.16 who says... I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power unto salvation. So I see the Apostle Paul in his weakness, 
practicing what it means to live the gospel as well. You live the gospel by looking to the perfect example and the perfect substitute that we all have in our crucified, risen, and returning Savior, Jesus. If there was ever a man who truly and, and without fail was never ashamed of the gospel, right? If there was anybody um, who, who without fail actually guarded the gospel with his very life in perfection. He, Jesus never had a story about, oh, there was this comedian one time. Never, he never, he doesn't have that story. It's perfect. He embodied the fullest meaning of the gospel. That, that's, that's the Jesus who gave his life as a ransom for sinners just like you and me. He, he left the tomb empty on the third day. He promised eternity in heaven for all who would repent and believe. He was never ashamed of the gospel. He guarded the gospel with his life. And then he offers you and I his perfection when we screw it up. And he says, come follow me. Come follow me and trust that when you biff and when you fall down, I hope you get back up. And I'll cover that blemish. And my father's never going to see that blemish, those stains, those things that you feel ashamed about. But that is the beautiful good news of the Gospels. That's what Jesus offers you and I. And that's what then continues to enable us to not be ashamed of the Gospel and to guard the Gospel. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the message of the gospel, the work of your son Jesus at that bloody cross, the truth of that empty tomb, and the hope that we have of eternity. Pray, Father, that you do a work within us as we close. Come and strengthen where we need strength, encourage where we need encouragement, transform us where we need change. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.